right into the word. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Father, that we come expecting tonight, no matter what we're dealing with in our week and in our job or whatever, what, what's coming up in the remainder of this week or next week, Father, we lay all that aside. We cast our cares on you right now. And I thank you, Father, that your word will speak to us tonight, that it is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Father. I thank you tonight we receive revelation, not just information, but revelation. We don't want to just know something in our head, but we want to have something that's applied in our hearts that is going to change the way we live, to change the way we talk, change the way we act, change the way we respond, Father. Your word is always bringing change to our life, change for the good, and so we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to come together as the body of Christ. I thank you that we will be strengthened in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, this is going to be, um, you say I have a dry erase board out here. Um, I, I'm going to take us on a journey tonight um, because we, I, I'm kind of trying to wrap up what we've been talking about all month uh, in receiving the promises of God, walking in those things that uh, you know, we believe that God uh, has for us in our life this year, uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about 2013. I'm excited about what God is revealing in my life, the areas that I need to change and the areas that he wants me to grow into, because, you know, this time next year, I want to be able to look back on God's faithfulness in 2013 and be excited about accomplishing something for the kingdom of God, Amen. So uh, there's promises that he's given us. There's things that he's got for you in your lives individually for us as a church. Uh, I know for myself and my family, he's showing us things for this year. And I want to be able to finish. We started out this thing in the very first Wednesday. And I said that a lot of us as believers and as Christians, we are good at starting something, but we're not quite as good as finishing. And we, we need to be better finishers and follow through and and staying committed to these things. That's what we've been talking about uh, all month long. But today, I want to go on a little bit of a journey. Um, if you have an iPhone or a device where you're able to use the Version app, tonight's going to be a night you'll definitely want to use that. If not, the verses will be on the screen. Uh, because I'm going to just kind of be highlighting some stuff. And we're going to go through quite a bit of verses. If you look in Version, there's a lot of verses there. But we're going to go through them quickly. I just need to make some points and emphasize some things, um, but it, it's going to be uh, exciting to see uh, what we're going to look at today. Those of you that are doing the Bible reading plan with us, um, we're actually going to be falling right in line with that, and I don't know how many of you that are doing that Bible reading plan with us could answer this question, but this is a, this is a question that we haven't really, uh, a lot of us don't look at. Uh, we know about the Israelites. We know that they were in bondage uh, to the Egyptians for over 400 years, 430 years. Uh, Moses came and brought them out. But does anybody know how they got into bondage? Some of us might. Uh, we actually just read through some of those chapters in the Bible reading plan. But that's a question that we haven't really... Uh, you know, we don't really look at that a lot. How did they end up in Egypt? Because the last time I looked, God told Abraham to go to a country, Canaan, and said, you're going to have descendants here, and you're going to, well, if they were there, then how did they get to Egypt and then try to get their way back to the promised land, Canaan? 
And so that's what I want to look at tonight, because when we're on this journey of trying to get to the promised land, sometimes we don't look at what got us there. The, the title of my message tonight is Start to Finish. Start to Finish. And there's a couple of uh, different things that I want to you know, say that that title pulls out. First of all, we want to be people that go from start to finish. Okay? But also, I want us to start with the object in mind, the objective in mind that we finish. So we want to start to finish. That should be the goal. Here's the thing. You look at any sport, any sports team, baseball, football, basketball, and there are two very large dynamics. You have the beginning of the season, which for us, uh, you know, any baseball fans, I know me and Chuck are pretty adamant about baseball. This is an exciting time for us right now because here in about uh, 25 days, uh, baseball players are going to be showing up to what they call spring training. And for a little bit of February and all of March, they will be going to Arizona and to Florida. These are not real games. This is practice. They will play a lot of scrimmage games against each other. They don't count. They don't mean anything. But what are they doing at this time? For football, you call it training camp. What are they doing? They're going over fundamentals. They're practicing. They're getting the elementary stuff down. They're learning how they're going back over how to field the ball, how to run a route, how to make a pass, how to, uh, you know, uh, you know, hit with a guy on second base, how to bunt. Uh, you know, one of the big ones uh, in baseball is pitchers fielding their position. Because for some reason, pitchers somehow got all the way to the major leagues, the show, only knowing how to throw a ball at a certain rate of speed and making it do all kinds of funny stuff. But they can't hit and they can't field their position. They can't do any of this silly stuff. They're baseball players. So they go over that. Uh, back in 2006, the St. Louis Cardinals played the Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Tigers were the better team, but the Tigers lost that World Series because their pitchers could not throw the ball to third base. Three different scenarios came up where they needed to get a guy out at third base, would have gotten out of the inning, no problem, threw the ball all the way down into left field, runners score, lose the games, lost the World Series. Why? Because we didn't have the fundamentals. Now, we don't want to... You don't want to make light of the fundamentals because here's the problem. If you don't get the fundamentals down, when you get to the World Series like the Detroit Tigers, you lose. And for some reason, we only look at the elementary and the fundamentals and how we start this thing at the beginning. But here's the thing. If you could keep doing what you were doing in the beginning all the way through, then you'll win. You'll finish strong. We want to be people that finish strong. But, you know, we make the statement, and you hear me say it a lot, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But I want to say this. If we could finish the way we started, we'd be doing all right. Would you agree? If we could get the, if we did the fundamental things at the end, like we did at the beginning, we'd be finishing strong. So look at this in Genesis chapter 12. This is where it all starts, right here. We are 12 chapters into the entire Bible. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God shows up to a man named Abram. And he says, now the Lord has said 
to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want to stop right there real quick. Look what he's telling Abraham to do. At this time, he's called Abram, but we know God later changes his name to Abraham to mean father of many nations. This is the first faith step for Abram. We know that his life was a legacy of faith, but look at this first step. He's telling him to leave everything he knows. That means to get out of what is comfortable, get away from security, get away. At this time, he was living with his father. Because back in that day, that's what you did. You just, as families, you hung out together and you stayed in the same territory. Anybody who, who anybody been in this area all your life? In Valdosta. You born, raised, grown up here, the whole thing. And that's what this man was. He had, uh, Abram was in a land called Ur with his family, with his father. It's comfortable. It's secure. This is what I'm used to. And now God tells him, to leave your father, leave your family, and go to a place that I will show you. Now, some of us don't have a, you know, sometimes we have a hard time moving when God shows us where to go. But this guy, Abraham, he doesn't even tell him where to go. He just says, go. So right here, we see a step made by a man named Abram. This is the beginning of the journey. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and you're you will be blessed. You will be a blessing to others. Your descendants will be blessed. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. So we see that this is a very bold step. Now watch this in verse 4. So Abram departed, watch this, as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed. 75 years old. Usually, if you are that far along in one place, you know, you ain't moving. <laughs> you ain't changing, man. It's been 75 years. This is what I'm used to. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what's going to happen. We're not even talking about the fact that he hasn't even been able to have any kids yet. We're just talking about the fact that he calls Abram to get up, pack your things, and go to a place I will show you. I'm not even telling you where to go. Just go. And Abraham does what? moves as the Lord had spoke. I just want to make a side note here. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. This was a man of faith, and this shows it. Verse 3 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was considered righteous, not because he was born again, because he wasn't. Jesus hadn't died yet. Abraham was considered righteous because he believed God at his word. If you go on down to verse 20, it says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham is the first step in this journey that we're going to take. Abraham. 
Abraham's the first step. I'm going to give you a visual tonight because you've got to follow this. We've got to see this all the way through the end. We're talking about finishing strong, not just starting something, but finishing. Abram started in what? Faith. That was his position. If God says do it, I do it. If God says I'm going to have a, a child when I'm 100, then I'm going to have a child when I'm 100. And they messed up along the way. Him and his wife got together and said, hey, we're going to have children. You can't do it. So uh, maybe there's somebody else I'm supposed to have children with. And so, you know, they, they tried to solve God's plan for themselves, but God doesn't need any help performing his promises. We talked about this before. If God promises, promises you something, he's the one who's able to perform it. We don't have to do it. We just have to stand in faith and believe God at his word. So Abram starts this journey in faith. Begins this journey in faith. Now, let me make sure I'm not skipping any verses. Because I've got I to do this right. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he, would re, where he would receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Didn't know where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which, housed, which has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. So again, we see that Abraham was a man of faith, his position was faith. If God says it, I do it. He gave birth to a son, Isaac. Isaac is the next step in the plan. Isaac then gives birth to a son. Two of them. Do we know their names? Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. And that's where we get the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All three of these men, I don't have time to show you all throughout Genesis, but God was constantly bringing up the covenant that he made with Abraham. He'd go to Isaac and say, now here's the covenant that I swore to your father Abraham. He'd go to Jacob, this is the covenant I swore to your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac, and now to you, that you will be blessed, you will multiply, you will possess this land. All of these guys right here, Abraham went to Canaan. He finally got there in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12. He left his father, he left his family. Well, he, brought, he took his family with him, left the town that he knew, and went to Canaan and got there. So Isaac is born in Canaan. Jacob and Esau are born in Canaan. Jacob has a son, has a lot of sons, has 12 of them, which we know are the 12 tribes of Israel. The most important one, Joseph. Joseph. All of this right here takes place in Canaan. All of that. We're in the promised land. We're there. But go to Genesis chapter 15. Three chapters over from where we just were. And watch what God, this is before Isaac shows up. This is before Jacob and Esau and Joseph show up. But in Genesis chapter 15, in verse 3, Then Abram said, You have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. He's talking about Ishmael. 
He already went and, and, and uh, took uh, Sarah's maidservant as his wife and had a child through her and named him Ishmael. And God said, that's not the one. I told you you're going to have a child with Sarah. So he says, that's not the heir. But one will come from your own body, and that one will be your heir. Verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Now, uh, verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's where we get that verse from Romans chapter 4. Verse uh, 6 going on, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land. This is verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 13. God is talking to Abram here. He's making covenant. He says to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Wait a minute. I thought this whole time he's been promising that his descendants are going to be in Canaan. And they're going to live in a land and it's going to be great. And they're going to have a, a, a great... Uh, 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 great Israel is going to be formed and inside of Canaan, and we're going to have this great party. But he says right here that they're going to be strangers in a land that's not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here, where? To Canaan. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What's he talking about here? He's showing Abraham, he's showing Abraham here that, yeah, you're going to have children here in Canaan, they're going to live here for a while, but your descendants, they're going to end up being in another country, another nation, being ruled over by another nation. It's a strange land. They will be foreigners, and they will serve those people. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about Egypt. He's talking about Egypt, where the Israelites become enslaved for 400 years. He's already showing Abraham this. He's already showing him. He says, you're not going to go. You're going you're gonna to stay here, and you're going to die at a good old age, and everything's going to be fine with you. But later on down the road, your descendants, Israel, is going uh, to end up in Egypt. So how did they get to Egypt? Well, we know he has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. And Joseph's 11 brothers were jealous of him because his father Jacob actually loved him more than all the, all the rest of the kids. And so they decide one day, we don't want this kid around anymore. Let's get rid of him. And so they sell him into slavery. And by being sold into slavery, Joseph ends up in Egypt, serving a man named Potiphar. Then he ends up going to jail. I mean, if you read Joseph's story, my goodness, <laughs> that's a phenomenal story. You got to get in there and read that story. His story is unbelievable. 
back and forth, up, down, up, down. But he never lost trust in his God, never lost faith in his God, and knew that the dreams that he had when he was a boy, they were going to come to pass somehow. So he's in jail. And most of us would quit about there. I know I probably would. And these two guys come into the jail one time, and they have a dream. Both of them do. Joseph interprets their dreams, and one of them worked for Pharaoh. And so he told him, hey, when you get out of here, tell Pharaoh that I don't belong here. Tell him about me. Well, the man forgot. But several years later, Pharaoh has a dream himself, and nobody can tell him what it means. And this guy remembers, wait a minute, I was in jail a few years ago, and this man in there, he told me my dream. Maybe he can help you. So Joseph comes out and tells Pharaoh tells him the dreams. There were, uh, I had this dream that uh, down by a, a, a pond that there were uh, seven good cows and seven, uh, there were seven fat and juicy cows and seven lean cows and they were scrawny. And the seven lean ones ate the seven good ones. Oh, but then I had another dream where there was a, a two corn stalks. One of them had uh, seven good full ears of corn and the other one, uh, they were scrawny and lousy. And, and the ones that were scrawny and lousy ended up eating the ones that were good. What does that mean? And Joseph said, I know, the, I know exactly what it means. He said, you're going to have here in the land, we're going to have seven good, great years. The harvest is going to be great. Livestock's going to be great. Uh, there's going to be plenty all across the land. But after those seven years, we're going to have seven years of famine, the worst famine we've ever seen. The worst famine this, this region, this area has ever seen. And so he said, here's what you need to do. You need to select a wise man that in the seven good years, you can be storing up for yourself so when the seven bad years come, you'll have plenty for yourself and for the surrounding areas. So the next big marker that we have after Joseph is the famine shows up. And of course, I would run out of marker. The famine shows up. This famine is what eventually gets the Israelites to Egypt. What takes place? Well, Joseph, uh, you, know, you know the story. Pharaoh sets up Joseph as the second under him. He's the most important man in all of Egypt, in all of the region. And so Joseph is over how they distribute the food because he's got barns and barns and barns loaded up with grain and food for Egypt and for the surrounding areas. Because this famine's bad. This is a bad famine. And so Joseph's family living in Canaan, the promised land. Joseph's dad, Jacob, says, why are we standing around here looking at each other? We need to go to Egypt. They've got it. And we've got money, so let's go and let's buy what we can. Let's buy the food. And so they go. Well, obviously, Joseph's brothers come before him. Long story short, that he ends up seeing his brothers. And what he does is he says, bring the family here. And so his family, his brothers, his mom, his, uh, uh, his dad, and all, everything they own, moves to Egypt. This is just the beginning, but that's important because that was the 12 tribes of Israel. 
That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Reuben, Dan, Dan, Gad, Asher, and so on. We had seven. Thank you. We had 12. Let me put that up here so I can keep my marker. Famine. Okay? This is where we're at now. The famine is essentially what ends up moving Israel out. Here's what takes place. Let's go to, uh, let's see, where are we at? Genesis chapter 41. Go to Genesis chapter 41. I promise this is all comes together. We got to make this connection because the thing is, is we aren't doing the same thing we did in the end that we were doing in the beginning. And so we're missing this connection. So we got to find out how to finish. Genesis chapter 41, verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph has said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Now go to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. Egypt is the storehouse. Egypt is where you go to get the food. Egypt has plenty, not just for Egypt, but for everybody. This famine hit Canaan also. It hit the promised land. So in Genesis chapter 47, verse 17, it says, So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Why did they have to bring livestock? They ran out of money. These other nations ran out of money to buy food with. So they said, look, we're starving and we're going to die if we don't get food from you. So take our livestock. Then they, the following year, there's still no food. And so they say, we, we don't have any livestock. But if you keep on reading here, they say, take us and take our lands. We'll, we'll come work for you. We'll come be your slaves. And so now this famine, this famine has moved these descendants, these people's descendants. Abraham goes to Canaan. Isaac is born in Canaan. Jacob and Esau are born in Canaan. Joseph is born in Canaan. But now because of this famine, all this is moving to Egypt because of the famine. And it got to the point we don't have any money. We don't have any animals. We don't have any lands to give you. Let us come work for you so that you can feed us. This is how we get into Egypt. So look what happens in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. We're just continuing the story here. But the children of Israel were fruitful. This is verse 7. And increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mightily. And the land was filled with them. Notice the Israelites, they're still growing. They're still strengthening. They're still 
multiplying, even as slaves in another country. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh's supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. Anybody seen Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments? This is what happened. They ended up in Egypt because of the famine. They kept growing, and they kept multiplying. And over time, Pharaoh died, Joseph died, and now they're in Egypt where they're foreigners, a land that they don't know, serving a king that doesn't know who they are, they don't know who he is, they're working for this king, all because of what happened at this famine years and years ago. And now this king, this new pharaoh, is realizing, wait a minute, these Israelites, they're stronger than us. They're growing more rapidly than we are. They're mightier than, than us. And if war takes place, they're not going to side with us because they're in a strange land. They're foreigners in our land. They could side with our enemies and they could t- overtake us and then they're going to leave. And so what they do, they put them in more bondage and more slavery. Some of us might be in that position where we know that there's a promised land. We know that this isn't where we belong. We're in a foreign place. We're in a foreign land. And it's got us in bondage. Whether it was because we didn't trust God in a previous situation, whether we put our trust in something, look, they put their trust in Egypt rather than God. Do we see that? Abram got to Canaan, how? By faith. By trusting in God. Now these descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, famine hits the land and their trust is in man. And the thing that they ran to to solve their problem is now ruling their life. Is now controlling them. There might be some things that we've run to in the past that we ran to for help. We may have run to money. We may have run to relationships. We may have run uh, to, to natural things to try to fix a current situation, and now it's controlling us. Now we're in bondage, and now God is showing me a promised land, but it doesn't look like the land I'm in right now. I'm in slavery. I'm in bondage. This thing is a burden to me. There have been taskmasters set over me, and this thing's beating me down, and I cannot seem to get out from under it. And so now enters Moses. I'm giving up with these markers. I'm just striking out. Look at this. Moses. Where did I get these markers from? They're good for like 10 seconds. Obviously, Egypt, I am in bondage to dry erase markers right now. Exodus chapter 3. Go to Exodus chapter 3. 
Are we following along so far? You got this? I know this is a little bit heavier. That's all right, Brent. Don't worry about it, man. She's going to bring back the whole thing? Just bring them all back. I know this is a little heavier for Wednesday. I know that we've had long days, but watch this, because if we can make this connection, I'm going to tell you right now, you will finish this year strong. If you can get it. Look, this is January. This is where we're excited about change, excited about new things, new resolutions, uh, doing different things. Abraham was excited to go to a new place. It may have been scary. It was a step of faith. He had to trust God the whole way. He had to come out from what was secure. He had to come out from what was comfortable. Look, God is showing us some things here in January that may be pulling us out of things that last year we were comfortable with. I was comfortable with those finances. I was comfortable in that relationship. I was comfortable not ruling, not working and owning my own business. I was comfortable in doing that thing. But now God is showing me a thing that's it's pulling me out of what was comfortable. It's pulling me out of what, I'm, what I felt secure in. It's that newness. But why is now the faith and the trust in God that Abraham had and the promise that God had to his descendants forever, why are we now in bondage because of a famine? We haven't finished strong. There's something missing between here and here. I don't know what famine has shown up in our lives that has gotten us from the promise that God has given us, but I do know this. The promise here is still the promise here. Look, the promise here didn't end with Jacob, and then one of his sons ends up in Egypt, and well, I guess that was as far as God's promise went. I guess that's all he meant. I guess God only was able to promise us, you know, you know, three generations there. No, God's promises are forever. God is faithful to perform the promises. And we can't get deterred by famines. We can't get deterred and moved off of God's promises because of famines that hit our lives. We've got to find out how to finish strong. We have to find out. I don't know what journey you're on. I don't know what tests have come up in your life, but we've got to figure out how to get past the famine in our life and get out of bondage. This famine has brought bondage. See that one real good. Maybe I need to hold it like this or something. Keep all the ink down. Brought bondage. But now we have a man named Moses. Moses shows up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. So I have come down. God is showing up to Moses in a burning bush right here. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the, watch this, Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God is pointing out that the land that I'm taking you to, somebody else already possesses it. 
That's a, a very important factor because when we get over to the end of this thing, you're going to see these people show back up. Look, the thing that God has promised you, it's not just hanging out there waiting for you. It's not just waiting on you. There, are, there might be somebody in there. There might be somebody occupying your territory that God's promised you. There might be giants in the way, but it's still God's promise. God was not surprised when the Israelites show up and there's Canaanites, there's Hittites, there's Amorites, there's Perizzites. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, when God was telling uh, Abraham what was going to happen, he told him about all those people. He told them that. He said, where I'm taking you, there are people there in that land. But this is God's promise. And so he raises up a man named Moses to go. And we know the story. He goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Ten plagues come. Finally, Pharaoh says, fine, take them, go. And they get out in the wilderness. God delivers them, parts the Red Sea, has a cloud of day, a, a, a cloud of God by day and a fire by night leading them, guiding them. There was a time where they were thirsty, didn't have anything to drink. He hits a rock, water comes out. They, they, they're complaining about food. So he sends manna in the morning, every single morning, and he sends meat at night by birds to feed them. They have breakfast and dinner every single day. But we know that they grumbled, they complained. They didn't want to be there. It's that time period of transition now where we've been through the famine. We're in bondage. We get set free, but now there's a transition period. This transition period is very important. Transition. This is where people get lost. We get lost in transition. This is where people... Don't make it out. We have to learn how to get out of, how to make it through this transition period. In the wilderness, you need to be praising him, not complaining. Here's what happens. Is if your heart isn't right in transition, you will always run the risk of going back to what was holding you bondage. See, when they were enslaved, of course they wanted out. They didn't want to be in slavery. But you know what they were saying in the wilderness? It was better in Egypt. At least we had food. At least we had something to drink. Those are statements that you do not want to make when you're in this transition period. Let me give a natural example. Maybe God has called you to start a business. Starting a business is not easy. There is a lot to starting a business. But the promise was that this will be a business. It will be profitable. It will take care of you. And you will use it to influence people for the kingdom of God. Well, starting out, there's a time period of transition. I know for me personally with this church, God has given me a vision. He has shown me and promised me what this church can do in this city. But that transition period, those of you that were with us in 2012, that was a transition period. 2011, 
a transition period, and you know that. There's not very many people that stay in churches that do all that stuff because there's plenty of other ones where I can just go slip in and out. And, 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 but when you want to see the work of God through a ministry and what he wants to do, you stick it out no matter what the transition is. I know down in St. Augustine, they've been there going on nine years this year. We went through several transitions. Transition is where people get lost. That's where we end up not finishing. Look at this in Numbers chapter 13. This is the most pivotal, pivotal one. This is the one where God almost has to change the whole course and the whole direction of the whole thing. Watch this in Numbers chapter 13. Is Dresden okay? Okay. Father, I thank you that you're the healer. I thank you that you bring healing to Dresden's body right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. Let me tell you, let me get you caught up. They come to Canaan. They're right on the verge. Moses sends in 12 spies. Okay? 12 spies to go spy out the land. He says, I want you to see who's there. I want you to see what the harvest looks like, what the fruit looks like, what the cities look like, how they're built. See, Moses isn't surprised. He says, go look for, go tell me about the people that are there. Why? Because there was a day where I was on the side of a mountain with a burning bush, and God said, I'm going to deliver them to a land where the Canaanites are, the Hivites are, the Amorites are. There's people there. I want to know what they look like. I want to know how to attack them. I want to know how to have a plan. When God begins to give you a glimpse of the promised land, it's not to scare you. It's so you can have an idea of how to attack that thing. I'm telling you right now, it, 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 the Bible says that God orders our steps. If he showed you the whole path, we would probably quit. I'll tell you right now, if God would have showed me my path to where I'm at today, seven years ago, I'd have quit. When I, when I saw a children's pastor in there, I, nope. I am not a children's pastor. Kids, I, I don't want anything to do with kids. I don't like kids. They don't like me. It's mutual. We, we, we respect each other. That's it. If he would have showed that to me. But what was he doing? He was ordering my steps. And as I obeyed him and stayed faithful to him in the steps, I tell you right now, children's pastoring is almost the number one reason why I'm here today. What I learned being on staff, what I learned pastoring children. It's why I'm here today, period. But again, seven years ago, if I would have seen that. See, God doesn't give us a glimpse of the promised land to scare you. He gives it to you to show you I am going to fulfill my promise. But watch what happens. We went to the land where you sent us. And it truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They brought back one cluster of grapes on a pole that they had to carry between two people. I don't know what kind of product they were spraying on that stuff. But it was producing. 
Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, meaning giants. The cities are strong and fortified. Their people are mighty, and there's giants in the land. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And Moses is saying, duh, I know this. God has already told me this when I was on the side of that mountain with the burning bush. But he said, I am coming to deliver my people out of Egypt and bring them back to Canaan. Back to the promised land. So if he said that's what he's going to do, that's what he's going to do. But ten spies got the whole crowd rallied around their cause. Because look at the next verse. Joshua and Caleb were two men that went in. They were the other two spies. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up, go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. That has to be your heart. That has to be your attitude. You will not finish without that attitude. If it looks too big, and you say, I can't take this, and there's this in the land, there's this in the land, and this is fortified, this is strong, this is mighty, you won't, you won't finish. You'll be like the ten spies that quit. But no, we got to have Caleb's heart. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Well, the people, the congregation, sided with the majority, sided with the ten that said, man, if they said we can't do it, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb are saying, are you kidding me? We can go in. We can do this thing. But the people got lost in the transition. That wilderness, that was supposed to take 11 days. It took them 40 years. In fact, in fact, this instance that we're reading about here, it actually happened pretty quick. They spent the rest of the time just wandering around in the wilderness. Just wandering in a place that was just supposed to be transition. This isn't even the focal point. But they refused to go into the promised land. They refused to go into the promised land that was promised all the way back here, which through famine got them into bondage. And this is as far back as they could see themselves. When they were in transition, this is as far back as they could see. They couldn't see past any of that. All they saw was, you know, here, we might have been enslaved. We might have been in bondage. We might have had burdens, but hey, we had food. Hey, back in Egypt, we had something to drink. Hey, we were taken care of. I mean, you know, we may have been working for them, but hey, they took care of us. And that's as far back as they could go. 
When you get in this transition, if your vision gets so small-minded that all you can remember is what it used to be like and not what it could be like, we've got a problem. You won't finish. You'll quit. At this point right here, it says, And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature there were giants go to the next verse there we saw the giants the descendants of Anak come uh came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight this is all they could see they could only see the bondage that was behind them and they could only see the giants that were in front of them. They could not see the promise that God had already given them. And at this point, all of Israel sided with the ten spies instead of the two spies. They refused to go into the promised land. It wasn't because God wasn't merciful. It wasn't because God was gracious. Was it because God didn't do enough for them? They refused. At this instance, the ground opens up. God is furious. Can you imagine how furious God is? Look, I was just telling Brent right before this, this is one of those books, Exodus and Deuteronomy. This is one of those books that you read and you think, bunch of idiots. I wouldn't have done that. Yet we do it all the time. We do it all the time in our everyday lives. Can you imagine how furious God is? He promised this to Abraham generations and generations and generations ago. They end up in bondage to a people that they should be ruling over, not serving. Now God has made a way for them to get out, and they won't go in. They have come right to the doorstep and won't go in. Those of you as parents, you know how that is with your kids when they, they're right there and they're just stubborn and saying, no, I'm not going to do it. So God is, he's furious. He opens up the ground. He says, if you're on my side, get over here. If you're on their side, get over there. And the ground swallowed up those that were on the other side. This is not how you finish. In fact, they didn't finish at all. So this is, we have to be people that start something to finish something. But here's what happened. The biggest difference was Abraham's position of faith. And trusting in God, a man who could step out on a word, go. I mean, look, look, at, look at the contrast here. You have a man, Abram, 75 years old, lived with his father his whole life in a land that he's comfortable with and he's secure in. And God says, go to a place I will show you. Get this now. And Abraham goes. And it's accounted to him as righteousness. Now, Generations and generations later, you have 
ten spies that are in the land. They're in it. They see it. They're there as spies looking at it. They see everything. Abraham didn't even have that much. And they say, no, can't do it. Why? Because the fundamentals that they were working on in spring training over here, they got lost over here. And when it got to the World Series, when it got to the Super Bowl, they forgot everything they learned back here. And you don't finish. If you start in faith, you have to finish in faith. If you started out trusting God, then you have to end starting God. If you start out in this year, in this month, 2013, January, trusting God and saying, God, if this is the promise you have for me, then you're going to have to show up in my life. There's no other way. But then somehow along the way, we begin to do things on our own and say, well, wow, I can't do that. And wow, this did take place. And by the time we get to the end of the year or the end of the path and we get to the promised land, then we start to say, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't go in there. But this is there. And this is in the way. And it's strong. It's tied up. It's fortified. I mean, look at Jericho, man. Jericho was the most fortified city. I mean, you would, somebody was reading the Bible in Jericho. Somebody was reading the Bible and saying, wait a minute now. We're actually in Canaan. This is the promised land. And according to this right here, somebody's coming back to take all this. So we better put up some pretty strong walls. That was Jericho. The first city Joshua comes to. The most fortified city there ever was. Walls so thick they could have chariot races on the top. But those walls came down when somebody showed up that got back in this position. You've just seen how to not finish. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Let me tell you what's happening here. Watch this. God is so furious. He says, you know what? I'm not going to be able to get you in the promised land. But I've already promised that this would happen. I told a man, Abraham, way back here that his descendants were going to live in this land again. I told him that you were going to be enslaved, but that you were going to come out of that and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to fulfill that promise, but it's not going to be with you. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't do and fulfill God's promises in your life, he's going to do it with somebody. Watch what happens. God says, the only ones that are going in are 20 and under. How many years were they in the wilderness? 40. That means the 20 and under were born in the wilderness. Why? He said, I'm not going to be, I got them out of Egypt, but I can't get Egypt out of them. I got them out of bondage, but I can't get bondage out of them. I got them out of slavery, but I can't get slavery out of them. I've got them out of the physical location. But the mindset 
is still there that I'm beat down. I will always serve somebody else. I can't overcome it. I can't win. So I'm going to have to go with someone that doesn't know slavery, someone that doesn't know bondage, 20 and under, because they weren't in Egypt. They weren't bound by another nation. They weren't serving a king that was trying to beat them down and break them down physically and mentally. The only way you're going to get in the promised land is if you get your mentality off of the bondage and the slavery that held you before. If you can't change your thinking, then you won't live it out and you won't walk in the promised land. So here we are, Joshua. God tells Moses, you're not going in because you disobeyed me. Obedience is key. One time the children of Israel, they were crying out for water. We got nothing to drink. And God said, God told Moses, hit the rock. So he hits it, water comes out. Happened again. Children of Israel crying out, we're thirsty. We don't, we don't have anything to drink. God says, speak to the rock. What does Moses do? Hit it. It worked the first time. Guess what? It worked the second time. Water came out. But what did God say to do? Speak to it. Not hit it. That's lousy right there. I, I, I mean, I'm telling you. If I were Moses, I'd be furious. And he argued with God. Because God told him, because you hit the rock instead of speak to the rock, you're not going in the promised land. I mean, think about it. You, you went back to Pharaoh, fought with him for weeks trying to get, this, get these people to go, lasted 10 plagues, got these people through the Red Sea, endured all these bunch of grumblers and complainers and moaners and just thinking, man, forget these people. I'll just go in the promised land by myself. And because of trying to get them water, you're now, you can't go. No access. And he asked God, please let me go. And God told him, I will let you see it, but you won't go in and don't you dare ask me again. Obedience is key. That'll shut you out of the promised land. So Moses can't go in. The 20 and under can't go, or the 20 and over, uh, 21 and over can't go in, but the 20 and under can go, and the two spies that had a good report, Joshua and Caleb. Now watch what happens in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. We just saw how to not finish. Let's look at how we can finish. Every, uh, where are we at? Is that it? Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, he's talking to Joshua. Now this is God talking to Joshua. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. He, what's he doing? He's now marking off once again. This is what belongs to you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, 
For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. He's saying, through you, I am going to get this promised land back to Abraham's descendants like I promised him. I owe a man a promise. I made a promise. And I will make it happen. Through you, I will make it happen. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now Joshua has a position to take. Do I take the position of the ten spies and not finish? Or do I take the position of Abraham that got us in this thing in the beginning? And so he operates by faith in God's word. What's he doing? Trusting God. Because what was God saying this whole time? Be strong. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's he saying? Put your trust in me. Put your trust in me. Joshua is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Because he was the go-getter, man. Moses took him 40 years just to get to the promised land. Joshua, three days, we're going in. And they're at Jericho. Three days. We ain't doing this wandering around mess. I don't got time for that. We're going in. God said he's with us, so he's with us. What did Joshua do? He got back to this. He said, you know how we started this thing? God spoke to a man named Abraham and said, leave everything that is comfortable to you and go to a place I will show you. So Joshua said, you know what? I'm taking that position. We're trusting God. We're going to operate in faith. And by faith, he took those 20 and under in, and they fought Ai, and they fought Jericho. They fought the Canaanites. They fought the Hittites. They fought the Amorites. They said, I don't care if there's giants in the land. They said, I don't care if there's people occupying our stuff. I don't care who is there when we get there. But they're going down because this is our land. This belongs to us. This is the promised land. That was Joshua. Anybody seen the movie 300? That was Joshua, a man. He was a man. And he went in based upon God's word. And he stood on, he stood in faith, just like Abraham stood in faith. So what am I saying? How you start is how you need to finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Look, the, there's a Super Bowl coming up this Sunday. And I'm going to tell you right now. Nobody's going to care how they started. 
Nobody's going to think, well, man, you know, the Ravens at the beginning of the year, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, I mean, look at the 49ers. They didn't have a quarterback three weeks into the thing. But they're concerned about how are we going to finish. It's not about how we started. But you know what? The things that we did in the beginning, they got us all the way through, and we've got to finish this thing out. And how we started is how we need to finish. And what I'm saying is, is those fundamentals that get you going, that's what you have to apply through the whole thing. This spirit of faith right here, it would have gotten them through the famine. It would have gotten them out of bondage. It would have gotten them through transition. But yet they dealt with all this mess because we didn't keep this. Abraham started this thing trusting God and saying, you give me a word, go, and I'm going. Last few verses, Psalm chapter 37, verse 23, Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps are ordered by who? God, the Lord. Abraham had to place full trust and full reliance on God. You have my steps ordered. I don't have this thing figured out. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to have a child when I'm 75 years old, 90 years old, 100 years old. But if that's what you promised me, then you're going to have to come through. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. Proverbs 16 and verse 9, a man's heart plans his way. Watch this, but the Lord directs his steps. Look, I don't care what plan you have in your heart. It doesn't matter. Your plans don't matter. Your purpose doesn't matter. It's what his plan and what his purpose is. And so we need to get in tune with what his purpose is. That word directs means establish. The Lord establishes his steps. These, all these people, all of them, they had steps that were ordered. They had steps that were directed. God showed Abraham, look, this is what's going to happen. This, they're going to be in bondage. They're going to come out of that, and they're going to come back to Canaan. It was all established. It was all set up from the beginning. You've heard me say all along, God is not walking our lives out with us. He didn't get here to the famine and say, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. What are we going to do? He didn't get to the bondage and say, wow, mm, Egyptians, yeah, that's going to be a problem. What are we going to do now? No, he has it all planned out. He's not walking out our lives with us. Everything that happens in our life is in his past. It's already happened. What's going to happen in 2013 for God has already happened. It's already been ordered. It's already been established and directed. Proverbs 19, 21, last one. Proverbs 19, verse 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. The New Living Translation reads it this way. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Did they get back to the promised land? Yes. 
Joshua got his men, got the Israelites back into the promised land. It was the long way around it, but he got there. God's plan will prevail. The question is, is will you be a part of it? Will you be a part of it? There's a lot of men along the way in the wilderness that were not a part of God's purpose and God's plan. Moses himself wasn't even a part of God's purpose and plan. His steps were directed. His steps were ordered. But he didn't even get in himself. Because he did what he wanted to do versus what God wanted him to do. This is key. This is key. I don't know how many of you are starting to get those promises. You're starting to recognize things that you want to triumph over this next year. Things that you want to overcome. Bondage that you want to come out of. Famine that you want to be set free from. I don't know. But this is a year of freedom. This is a year of deliverance. This is a year of coming into the promised land. But it's not how you start. It's how you finish. This weekend in that Super Bowl game, there's going to be linemen that are going to remember what they were taught at training camp. This is how you block. This is how you keep the guy in front of you. This is how you run a route. This is how you throw a pass. Fundamentals that went all the way to the starting point and now get them to the finish line. And what did Paul say? When you've done all to stand, stand. He said, what you've been doing the whole time to get you to this point, do that and it will get you over. The fundamentals that you were taught in the beginning, keep applying those. Faith. You got into this thing trusting God. Let's finish this thing trusting God. Abraham went to a place, got out of his comfort zone, got out of security, got out of knowing everybody, got out of what I'm used to, and he went to a land that he didn't even know where he was going. And then when he got there, God said, all right, stop, that's it. You're in Canaan. You're in the promised land. This is where I'm going to bless you. This is where I'm going to bless your descendants. This is where you're going to be a great nation. This is where you're going to be a father of many nations. This is where you're going to have your children. And then here's what's going to happen is you're going to go through some stuff, and they're actually going to end up in another nation serving another people, but I'm going to bring them back. But along the line, there were people that didn't get to. They didn't get to come back. They didn't finish strong. Because they didn't stay the course of faith. They didn't stay the course of trusting God. Look, this is the year. Look, in December, there are people that said, man, I need to get in shape. I need to get back in the gym. But they had a membership in January. What they started out doing, they didn't keep doing in finish. But if in December... They were doing the same thing they were doing in January. They'd be making a new resolution the next year. 
So God's got promises for us, but he's looking for us to trust him the whole way. Look, I, there's always, there's always a, a urge and a, a resistance to when we start to see success, when we start to see things take place, to forget God. I mean, Abraham had to trust in God. Had to. He had no option. He doesn't know where he's going. He had to trust him. But then the Israelites, when they saw Canaan and they saw the giants and they saw the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, when they saw them, they said, we cannot overcome. Well, God never said anything about you. He said, I will bring you into this place. Why aren't you trusting me? Abraham got into this thing because he trusted me. Why aren't you trusting me? See, sometimes what we see with our natural eyes is our greatest hindrance. Abraham was in a position where he had to operate in faith. See, right now you're in a position where you have to operate in faith because there's nothing you can do. But then when we start figuring out our ability and figuring out our strengths, and then we say, oh, well, I can't do that. And God's saying, I never asked you to. I didn't ask you to when you started this thing. And I'm still not asking, to, asking you to now. Well, God, there's no way I can fix this marriage. There's no way I can fix this relationship. And in the beginning, you trust in him. But then things start changing and our marriage is doing better. Our relationship's doing better. And then God says, all right, now I need you to do this. You say, well, I can't do that. And God's saying, I'm not asking you to. I didn't ask you to fix it in the beginning. I'm not asking you to fix it now. I'm fixing it. You can do all things through Christ, not yourself. You're not alone. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us a helper that lives, why would he give you a helper if you could do it all by yourself? Just the fact that he sent a helper is a notion to us, I'm not even meant to do this thing by myself. Had the Israelites, when they got to Canaan, realized, look, I mean, that's what Joshua and Caleb said. They said, we're well able. Did they mean they're well able because they were strong and mighty and could take them? No, we're well able because the same promise that was given to Abraham is the same promise that we have today. And if Abraham could get there and not even know where he was going, we can definitely get there and we can see it right in front of us. Don't let your natural eyes move you off of what God has already shown you in the spirit. God has shown us some things here in January and you have to trust him. But come July, come August, come October, you start seeing some natural things and it's right there, but you start saying, no, there's no way. And we don't finish strong. We start it out. But no, we got to apply what we're starting out with all the way through. And I'm going to tell you right now, the same faith you're applying today is the same faith you're going to apply in December. The same faith you're going to apply Next January, it's the same faith, the same trust in him. That's where you have to put your faith. You didn't get into this thing 
putting faith in yourself and putting trust in yourself. So don't get there later on. Trust him. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Father, I thank you tonight by your Holy Spirit that you have revealed your word to us, Father. I thank you that we make this connection tonight. We may have to listen to this again to grab a hold of all of it. But, Father, we thank you that you have shown us that the way we get in is what we have to keep doing to apply and to finish strong. Father, I thank you that this church is not a church of people that start something but quit and don't finish. But we are starters and finishers. We are the body of Christ. And you are the author and finisher of our faith, Father. So I thank you that what you start, you mean to finish. And what you have started in us, you will perform. You will finish. And we will see it to the end because we will stay in faith. We will trust you. We will be obedient. We won't go to the right or to the left. But we will only move and be directed as you tell us to, Father. The same way we got into this thing, that is what will drive us to finish and prosper. Father, I thank you that those that are under the sound of my voice tonight, this is the greatest year of their lives this is a great, this is a year of abundance. This is a year of provision. This is a year of maybe trying some new things and starting out in some new things that we never thought we could ever do. And Father, we're going to finish strong, not just start good. Father, I thank you that we will see blessings come to our lives, blessings come to this church because we remain obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you got that. I hope you got all that tonight. I uh, I couldn't start that message without finishing it because... <laughs>